Welcome to the Republican Professor, and we have a recurring awesome guest here today, this afternoon in Texas, uh, and this morning in California. And by the way, all of my exes live in Arkansas, which is just one state over. We have Dr. Shannon Holzer, Ph.D., how you Thanks doing? For being here again, Shannon. Happy to be with you. Shannon is an expert in the First Amendment religion clauses because he got like a PhD in it, basically. <laughs> and um, from the Church State Institute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little bit broader. That's true. He also studied some theology and some church history mm -hmm. and et cetera, et cetera. But uh, there was this huge case that came down this past summer in the Supreme Court docket, and it was a Kennedy versus Bremerton Bremerton School District. Yes. Um, I'm going to share my screen just really briefly, just so people can kind of follow along here. Let me see if I can do this. Um, well, it's not letting me hold on. Okay, so I'm, I'm sharing my screen. I just went to Google Scholar um, and it's just a convenient way to uh, pull up these Supreme Court cases. You go to case law. You can go to articles, but go to case law, go to federal courts, because this is a federal court decision. And it's Ken Kennedy versus Bremerton. Of course, you have to know how to spell to pull it up. And then sometimes there's multiple entries when it goes all the way to Supreme Court. You got the history. So you want to pay attention to the date. I, I happen to know it was decided in June of 2022. So I'm going to click on 2022. There it is. And uh, the pagination is is right here. It's big number 2407. That's the page number. 142 Supreme Court is the volume number. And if you scroll down, uh, you'll see the page numbers on the side here. So this involves uh, a guy named Joseph Kennedy. Gee, I wonder who he's named after. Who lost his job as a high school football coach in the Bremerton School District after he knelt at a midfield at midfield after games to offer a quiet personal prayer. Oh my gosh! I mean, I'm already just thinking this. Like this went all the way to the Supreme Court. <laughs> What does that tell you about our country? Right. You know, um, Shannon. Yes. What the heck is going on here? Tell us about this, this case and why it's important. And Oh, well, um, I'm going to start a little bit with the case. Then, uh, like I said, why it's important. I'll go in that order. Um, the case okay. itself, you know, it's not just, he didn't just wander out onto the field and pray out of <laughs> Uh, it's not, you know, as with anything, this is no wandering. Out. You can't have yeah. wandering. That's right. That was the, that was the test. I mean, yeah, but yeah. the reality, I mean, just like any case, it, it has to, there's something going on, uh, you know, mm -hmm. a little, you know, a little more context to it. He, uh, he originally would, he had prayed before. And he had prayed in the locker room uh, with his his team and uh, led prayers. So this this 
this leads us to the question of, well, is that bad? I mean, if he's, if it's not just a one-time prayer or, you know, is it a multiple offense or was it the fact that he prayed with other students or was it the fact that he led the prayer? Yeah. Uh, but there's a, there's a deeper issue as to the constitutionality of all of this. Right. First, what is so constitutionally wrong with prayer? <laughs> the question is, is, is prayer not a protected, you know, exercise? Let me pray about it. Hold on. Let me pray. about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if so, can you pray with your students? Is, I mean, is, right. is there anything not just morally, but constitutionally wrong with this? And how, how do you determine yeah. the constitutionality of this act? Right. Now, if you look at the Constitution, the Constitution, uh, you know, you have the free exercise clause and you have the establishment clause. And within the context of the Constitution, we ask the question, what is the Constitution for? Is it to limit citizens or is it to limit government is it to establish rights or to protect rights and so does the constitution establish this guy's right to pray or does it limit his right to his free exercise uh who is it limiting what you know what does the establishment clause limit yeah is it limiting the government right or or the citizen now of course the claim is that he is not acting as a citizen. He's acting as an arm of the government. Right. And thus the government can't coerce anybody to pray. And by him leading prayers, somehow he's coercing his students to do so. Now, um, yeah. Now there's, pro mean? there's probably some people here that want to know just some basic stuff though. Like, okay how's the government involved here and did they tell him not to do this and yes uh, yeah so yeah so there's there's two things here first of all there's the government by what which what is the mean? public school right that's the public school district. it's a government yeah, it school a district yeah and he's an employee of that government school district so they have uh, some kind of policy or something that that he do. violated yes okay and this is there's going to be uh, some constitutional issue about this where sotomayor in her dissent interestingly you know she refers to to this you know this hold on though, let's get the vote know, down let's 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 look at the syllabus here again okay so on this i've got my screen pulled up so those of you who are listening on audio you just have to go to the video on youtube and check it out but there's they always say the vote. Um, okay, hold on. Where'd they say it? Um, I guess it's after the syllabus. Um, where <clears throat> I could just search dissent. How about that? There we go. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. So you mentioned Sotomayor filed a dissenting opinion. Yeah. Breyer and Kagan joined. Right. Gorsuch yeah, gave the. Oh, I didn't know Gorsuch did the opinion. Okay, so yeah, Gorsuch did that. I found it interesting. I thought you'd be uh, very interested in that being a Gorsuch guy. I had this printed out, and I have meant. I've been trying to get to it for a long time, and I. I have to admit, I'm underprepared for this interview because usually I read the whole thing, and I yeah, come I, up with my own thoughts on it. Uh -huh. And uh, so, but I've just 
I'm t- I'm teaching two oh. new courses this semester that I had to just yeah. totally invent. Basically, I'm teaching a class on Congress and I'm teaching a class on uh, the the American founding. And you'd think I would be able to just snap my fingers and be able to figure that out, but I actually yeah. took a lot of work. So I, sorry, I wasn't able to get to this before our established uh, um, oh. schedule. But I mean, I've looked I've looked at it and I I knew the vote count was basically all the Republicans on the court. Uh, were f- in favor. Uh, they found in favor of the individual against the right. school district, That's and right. then all the Democrats were on the side of the school district. And I know that Brett Kavanaugh and, and a lot of these guys would say, "Ah, we're not Republican judges. Don't say that." You know. <laughs> yeah. And, but it's like okay, when you see it broken down like this, uh, what I just mean is, you know. Seems like there's something going on there. But no, I agree. And yeah, I mean it's these are generally predictable in some ways. It's it's when they don't follow what you think, you know, yeah. they're gonna do the uh, appointment lines, that's when you start asking what's going right, on. Right. I mean, 40% of their their docket is unanimous. So yeah, th- those are the cases that nobody wants to read, though, for the most part. I mean, every once in a while you see something like Sackett versus EPA, where it's nine zip and then yeah. people are reading that during sure. the Obama administration. But but I mean, these hot button issues like the Bill of Rights, you know, like these religion clauses cases. Um, that's where it seems like there is kind of this partisan split. So. I'm Absolutely. sure you have thoughts about that. I do. Yeah, I do. I mean, this well, case you were saying gonna... something about Sotomayor. Sorry, I'm. Saying... Well, I was saying that uh, she she kind of rested part of her dissent mm-hmm. on the school district's policies, uh, suggesting okay. that policies are are specific and that they forbid his actions. But what if uh, would she feel the same way if? the policies allowed his prayer or said you must pray would she then Mm. interpret the constitutionality of that based on uh the school district's policy manual and i don't think so and so Mm -hmm. she she shouldn't she's got the you know in this sense she's got kind of got the you know cart before the horse she should be asking is it constitutional uh for a coach to pray uh as a free exercise of his religion. Uh, well, she looked, look at that second sentence in her dissent there. The, the constitution does not authorize, let alone mm-hmm. require public mm-hmm. schools to embrace this conduct. Hmm. Right. Yeah. As and though it forbids said, them as though it doesn't authorize them as though it's de facto uh, forbidden to to pray yeah that's what she says in the next sentence she says it's in constitutionally impermissible according to um angle versus vital and 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 then going on and that those are the the 60s cases of school prayer and school bible reading right and there are a couple newer ones like wally uh wallace v jaffrey uh uh, jaffrey's and um and then the other one, if I could recall, is Lee versus Weissman. Uh-huh. And these, both, these are both prayer cases in which uh, they use coercion as yeah. 
so the determining factor. It's like, it's like a, it's a psychological coercion or something because it's voluntary, yeah. right? I mean, it's, you don't have to, there's no, there's no, obviously there's no requirement that you agree with the prayer or that you even hear it. You could plug your That's ears. Correct. That's correct. And it's not you, very long, right? Like, I how long, like 20 seconds or something like that. You don't even need. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing is this is never really ever, uh, it's never used the other way. This idea of coercion versus say, you know, uh, forbidding the free exercise of right. Prohibiting the free exercise of, they never look at it the other way as far as, so uh, there are a couple cases you'll be familiar with, uh, also, it's uh, Keaton v. Find um, it's Keaton. I got it in my book here. Uh, she was uh, going to Augusta State, Georgia, and Ward v. Wilbanks is the other one. There are two different cases that were going on simultaneously, and they were psychology students in graduate schools. And both of these graduate schools, one was Eastern Michigan University or Eastern Michigan State University, I think it was. And the other one was Augusta. So both and, government schools. Yeah. And they unlike, were unlike uh, your school, which is Houston Baptist University. That's not a government school. Right. Exactly. So it makes, it, they, it makes a difference if it's a government school. Absolutely. Yeah. But it also but we're also talking about. Uh, along with it, not just the government schools, but the associations. In this case, it would have been like the uh, ACA or the APA, American Psychological Association or the American Counseling Association. And where these groups uh, require as part of the curriculum that you uh, acquire a certain number of hours during right. practicum, you sure. have to counsel students. Sure. And they had done both of them. Uh, they well, asked, what what can can you tell us what what this is about? How does this relate to the First Amendment and the Kennedy case? What's, well, the what's, Kennedy, the, what's the connection? Okay, I'm glad you're saying that. Uh, so, with the Kennedy case, Sotomayor, uh, she and we're going to talk about the lemon um, test here in a minute, but she she determined that this is coercive by nature because of coercive it's coercive by nature. This government official is coercing students into prayer who otherwise might not have prayed with him and that they felt uh, pressure to pray and had reflected this to their parents or parents wrote a letter. So they felt this low level of coercion in the same manner as say um, Lee versus Weissman and Wallace B. Jaffrey in the public prayers at, you know, graduation ceremonies. So they feel this sense yeah. of coercion to pray. And right. then you have, you know, a violation Oh, yeah, the, the same sense of coercion that I had in eighth grade when Mrs. Fisher at Deer Creek uh, Junior High School made fun of uh, President Reagan. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Did I, I'm sorry. Did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. I, that was just a memory that I was having. Sorry. Of course. Well, it's okay uh, when Democrats do it. Okay. Anyway. When Mr. Tolman did it, I, <laughs> I was just an eighth grader. I, I was not impressionable and neither were my, my, my parents uh, were so mad when I told them. Yeah. <laughs> they were so mad. Hey, most kids aren't even going to tell their parents. That's the thing. They're just going to go home. It's going to be rattling around in their brain for the rest of their life and, and affect their beliefs somehow. Well, you know, didn't make me you... a Democrat though. See, what's the, what's the problem with the coercion? It's not going to make you believe in God. So what's how are how is it coercion? I don't understand where they're getting that. That's it's annoying. 
I mean, yeah. it's definitely annoying, but is it in constitutionally impermissible because it's annoying? <laughs> right. Well, even then, I think in this case, it's very interesting. Let me pull it up again. Actually, it's not annoying to me, just FYI, but it's annoying to a minority of students. Um, there was something. Well, I'm going to get back to the Keaton and Ward case, uh, but there's actually it's this idea that where does coercion just come across and it's in this case in, in Gorsuch's decision where it just kind of de facto becomes this heckler's veto where oh. you know you can't just say oh they're they're they've been somehow coerced or you know bothered by it thus they get this heckler's veto over it. you can't do it and i, I like that I, I thought that was well reasoned but the way this uh, relates to the two other cases, the two grad students is, is the level of coercion. These students just have to endure watching a guy pray, heaven forbid, right? Mm -hmm. On the other hand, with Ward versus Wilbanks, uh, Ward and Wilbanks, those cases, in Keaton's case, uh, she was, is Ward v. Wilbanks and Keaton versus Augusta, I'm sorry. In Keaton's case, for her to stay in the program, she had a list of things she had to, to do just to stay in the program because she asked for a religious exemption from having to uh, counsel homosexual students. And they said no. But as a matter of fact, for you to even stay in, you need to do this, uh, fulfill this remediation plan and this is what was in this remediation plan she had to attend at least three workshops which emphasized improving uh, cross-cultural communication between the lgbtq population she had to read at least 10 articles in peer-reviewed journals um, having to do with the lgbt community and write papers on them she had to work to increase her exposure and interaction with the lgbtq population she had to familiarize herself with the Association for Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, and Transgender Issues uh, and learn the competencies in uh, counseling these people. And then finally, she had to submit a two-page reflection paper every month uh, summarizing what she learned from her research on the subject. And I can only imagine, oh, and how it influenced her beliefs. <laughs> oh, wow. Really interesting. That's a fatal thing right there. And here's the thing. So she they're trying to coerce her beliefs. They absolutely. Her, her religious beliefs. That's absolutely. Or yes. Or just her beliefs on. Yeah, that's correct. Her religious beliefs on the issue of homosexuality. That's interesting. And this is a state agency doing so. Yeah, that wasn't very wise of them. I don't know why what? they thought they could get away with that. But they did. Wow. Oh, they did get away with it. They did get away with it. Yes. Okay. Has that and been resolved at the Supreme Court or is that not, still? Not yet. No. Not yet. Uh -huh. Okay. So she's still lost. She, her, that's her, that's the resolution so far or is it done? Far. Did they deny? That was, that was, uh, that was in an appellate court. You uh -huh. know, so she, uh, I, whether or not that makes it to the Supreme Court docket, I don't know. Okay. And, uh, Ward lost her case as well, hmm. although they didn't coerce her as strongly. So my point being is just, you know, when you get these cases like Wallace v. Jeffries, who give us some kind of precedent over, you know, in yeah. using a test of coercion, the coercion test, 
and 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 it's on a hair trigger, right? Right. Oh my God, the kids saw you pray. The kids, <laughs> you know. And, and what's interesting is um, these aren't nobody brought this to to court. Nobody made a complaint about this. Yeah. Uh, the district, according to Sotomayor, and in, in the in her dissent, it was the district that fired her or fired him, the coach. They fired him because they said, well, it, it may, you know, pose as an establishment issue that we've established. Well, why don't you wait till a case comes before you or somebody makes a complaint? Now they decide to make the complaint on them. So you know, on their own, they fire the guy and that now he's, he's lost his job based on his uh, free exercise of religion. Yeah. And the great thing about it is, is that at the end of the day, they um, they made a choice. They made a choice to get the new court made a choice to get rid of the lemon. lemon okay, gotcha. On this, and, you're, and now, you think this is a good thing? Oh, absolutely. Because they they say the lemon test is well. First of all, the lemon test didn't yield a whole lot of um, uh, conclusions that followed. Well, they were all over the place. You could never guess using the lemon test. Which okay, hold on. Let, let, tell us what, why, why it's called a lemon test. I'm going to share my screen. Okay. Yeah. So the lemon test comes. Because I mean, lemon what is it? A why, why is it a test that you take in school? What's the test? You know. Yeah. It, but think, think very basic here. I know that all the attorneys in here are way ahead of us. Okay, great. But you know, there are people that sure. that that didn't major in this stuff you know, to say the least, they might major in biochemistry. They're, they're really smart, but they're, they need it kind of be walked through some of this. Mm -hmm. So Lemon v. Kurtzman was a case where schools, private Christian schools, pro probably primarily Catholic schools were getting reimbursement for teaching secular subjects. And they'd get about 15% back if they, you know, was this Rhode Island or, I can't remember where was this. Yeah, I don't. I don't have the case in front of me. I just. Uh, okay, here's the lemon. I'll pull the lemon test up here. Hold on a second. I'll pull the case up. Okay, so, so the bottom here's line lemon versus Kurtz, Kurtzman, 1971. Yeah. Um. So the oh, idea, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. Okay. Now, the great thing is all of these cases are so related in reasoning. To a lot of oh, our there was, a, there was a Rhode Island one. Okay, I, I wasn't making that up. Sorry. Uh, was Rhode Island Everson versus the Board of Ed Education? No, no, that was New Jersey. This is it's right there. Yeah, can right. you see my screen? I can. Yeah, it's pulled up. Okay, Mr. Chief Justice Berger. Yeah. So it's Pennsylvania and Rhode Island, so they consolidated yeah. these cases. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so they you can see where it says that teachers in non-public elementary schools, um, a supplement of 15 percent of their annual salary under each statute. So anyway, uh, so they, they thought it was unconstitutional. Part of their reasoning was that money's fungible. It's kind of like giving money to Planned Parenthood, the 500 billion dollars. They go, well, that doesn't go to abortions. Well, it doesn't go to abortions, but it frees up your other resources to go to abortions. How's that? <laughs> and that was the argument here. Yeah, sure. 
you may be getting 15% back for, for teaching math, but that frees up the rest of your school's money to teach theology. Well, and, you know, it's also, oh, I see, I see what you're saying, but I think it's good to have a little background knowledge of like what teaching at a private school is like, sure. because the public schools pay way more. They have, and they have a boatload of of benefits and retirement and a guaranteed it's... time off and this and that that their unions have uh, basically coerced everyone. Speaking of coercion, up until yeah. Janice, anyway, but they're still trying to do it. But yeah. but um, and and so this very modest supplement of fifteen percent more to for these people that teach the. Uh, subjects that are not directly talking about the magisterium of the church i'm assuming they're catholic schools but you know just whatever you know if even if it was just a lutheran church or something like that 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 has some kind of catechism or something right well you know mathematics is not really so in order to attract the best math teachers uh-huh. in case you don't just have them laying around in the lutheran whatever it is I forget what right. they call it, not a diocese, but sure. whatever their group is, you know, you want the best math teacher. So you have to draw them in with a little bit more of a pay bump because they can't afford to teach there otherwise. So that, there's nothing nefarious here. There's no un underhanded stuff here. Yeah, well, that, that's what's problematic with this is these many of these Supreme Court, uh, well, not just people bring a suit, but the Supreme Court justices often believe that religion is irrational, divisive, and dangerous. Yeah. And, and they've made that clear in many of their court cases and the opinions. And so you, you see that they, they have a real negative view of religion to begin with. And okay. so, of yeah. course, you know, when you get to Lemon B. Kurtzman, their view of religion as somehow bad, you know, irrational, divisive, and dangerous, you know, they're like, well, we don't want to be, you know, plug in this stuff and we don't want to be given, you know, money to it. Well, Lemon V. Kurtzman, what it did was they established a test and the test with Lemon V. Kurtzman turns out it's called the Lemon Test. <laughs> it's to see if somehow uh, the government has tripped uh, the establishment clause. Right. That they have crossed that line and that their actions are now unconstitutional in that they have somehow breached the wall of se separation metaphorically. Uh, and they have done so um, uh, unconstitutionally. And there are three prongs to it. Uh, they say any law that is made has to have, one, a secular purpose, a non-religious purpose. So if there's a law that has a religious purpose, it fails the lemon test right away. Uh, second, it, and this is this is where I think a lot of the controversy where it lies is that it, it has must a law must have a primary purpose that neither advances nor inhibits the free exercise of religion. Okay, so it could neither it could neither advance religion nor inhibit it, and it, and the key one, word here is the primary effect. Okay. So that. Now, I, this is where it becomes high, uh, hypocritical. 
because I asked, because this is what was uh, uh, upsetting to Sotomayor was that the court in this case, in the case that we're talking about today, uh, the case, uh, the court rejected the lemon test and went with a historical approach where they asked, how has the First Amendment historically been interpreted rather than interpreting it through the lens of the lemon test or lemon v. Kurtzman, right? And so they're going to suggest that the primary effect of this guy's action somehow has a coercive effect on, you know, the students around him. Right. I, I would say the primary effect of prayer is for him to pray by himself. And if somebody wants to join him, they may. But that's his primary effect is for his own personal prayer. Right. Um, I don't know if I got to the third prong. The third prong is that there should be no excessive entanglement. Okay. So you got uh, secular purpose. Yeah, that's actually the thing that I think they were worried about, right? Is that it, that it had excessive entanglement? Yeah. Sure. But what, yeah. what does, that's a vague term. If you, I mean, even right. if ever logic, you go, well, what do you mean by excessive? Sure. Yeah. What do you even mean by entanglement? It's like bald. Bald is vague. Um, sure. You mean there's no I hair actually, on your head? Or, or what if there's a couple hairs? Is that bald? Yeah. yeah. How many hairs does it take to be bald? If you have two, or you, does that mean you yeah. have hair? Yes, in one not, sense. But it's not clear. It's not action guiding. No, and it's not. Not not one of these is clear. It was always left up to the courts and their discretion to decide what they believed to be a secular purpose, what they deemed to be a primary effect, or what they de uh, deemed to be excessive. Okay, and so the so the court people were expecting that the court was and by the say we the court we mean the Republican majority on the court. I know everybody's cringing right now because I'm saying that, but I mean it's like look at the name of the podcast. Okay, so yeah. <laughs> when but we're that's effectively what we're saying is that because I think a lot of people that don't follow this people the court is just a shorthand for the majority on the court. That's and, true. Yeah, that's and, what people. Understand. So they might can be confused. You talk about Congress did this or that. You mean the majority in Congress did this or that? You know, I mean, right? I, I think a lot of person. Like, so it's kind of like when when um, politicians say the voters say. You mean your voters? Right. Yeah. Uh, the court says. Well, the majority right. of the court says, and I think yeah. a lot of people like uh, use it uh, uh disingenuously in that it's almost like they they assume or want you to assume that the court is speaking univocally in this case mm -hmm. uh when in fact that's not the case well uh, unless they don't like it and what like uh senator whitehouse is always complaining about the roberts five yeah the, Rob, the roberts five you know they got this dark money and they, yeah. you know they're they're this and that they got every you know this is a five four decision this is a five four decision i and it's like, well, um, okay, well, now it's six three, so uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, anyway, I, I mean, I want to make light of it because we've been on the losing end of these things. I mean, we were on the losing end of Roe versus Wade; it was seven two, and uh, we were on the losing end of Plessy versus Ferguson, which was nine. Uh, sorry, eight one. Right. And it was just uh, it was just Justice Harlan that was uh, dissenting in that case. Sure. Um, and, you know, I, I yeah, like I've, I've been on the losing end here and I, it doesn't feel very good.
Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's why I wanted to go to Sotomayor's uh, descent. Sometimes that's where the meat is. And you go, well, all right. If, uh, you know, if this is just a matter of, of numbers here, let's hear your argument. Right. And so yeah, her let's ar hear the argument. Yeah. Her argument is, you know, she didn't want to give up lemon, the lemon test. And one of the reasons she, she did this, and this is, this should be interesting because it's also relevant to, to the Dobbs case. Uh, because she said, if you give up lemon V Kurtzman, you're, you're also basically affecting decisions that were uh, supported on that, that test. It calls into question any other decision that was ever, ever decided on the lemon test. Mm -hmm. And my, my answer is a question. Uh, so what's the problem there? You, you know, <laughs> you know, if it's a bad test, yeah. Why should we keep the bad decisions? The fruit of that poisonous tree. And you're yeah. saying it's a bad, it was a bad test from the beginning. Yes. It made a mistake from the beginning because the excessive entanglement prong is just vague. And it doesn't make, it's, is that, do I have it right on that? Do I have you right on that? Yes, it, 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 it was, it, it, it put the hands, <laughs> it put the burden of proof on the hands of the pra religious practitioner rather on the government from justifying its actions. Okay. Yeah. And it's it, the word excessive is like, okay, so there's a permissible entanglement that's not excessive. Mm -hmm. Like the, right. it, it, when I hear the term excessive, it sounds like, you know, if someone is excessively loud right it sounds like they could be just a little bit less loud and it wouldn't be excessively loud right and so excessive entanglement it's like okay so there could be some entanglement just a little bit less than a little bit less than walking on the field and quiet quietly voluntarily praying well it's like well, yeah well, but that how is that excessive that's not an excessive thing what he did <laughs> I, that, I agree. And that's why I say the courts generally determine, I say the courts, whomever's in charge, the Republicans or Democrats, generally, if you get a separationist uh, on the court, you know, they, they, they're going to think that anything is excessive entanglement. Yeah. What now, do you mean by a separationist? So separationists, generally, you have accommodationists and you have separationists. Okay. Uh, the separationists are going to, it comes in degrees. But from separation I, of church and state, that phrase, that is what I mean by that, that there's a, um, but that's in the constitution. No, it's not. No, it's not. We know it's not. Someone, someone's listening to this and they think it's in the constitution. I so just like, yeah. So, so when we get the term separation, it's a person who believes that, uh, there should be a strict separation of church and state that the two should be divided. Neither should cross paths. There should be no overlap. Right. And, and where do we get this idea of separation? We get it from a letter to the Danbury Baptists from Thomas Jefferson. And the Danbury Baptists were, keep in mind back then, the Baptists were not a, a large group of people. These, these were, you know, compared to the Congregationalists, the Presbyterians and the like. They were, these, they were fairly slim is what you're saying. They were slim and they're generally probably now, 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 on the other hand, those Baptists, yeah, much different, right? They could lose but, a little weight. 
That's right. So back then, uh, the they were worried that the Congregationalists were going to become the National Church of America. Uh, keep in mind, back then, the states had state-funded churches that actually took taxes from people right. for their tithes. I mean, so, and there was no problem back then. They didn't argue about, they didn't say this is unconstitutional. They didn't say it's a violation of you know, separation of church and state. They didn't say, but what Thomas Jefferson did when he wrote a very short letter, if you could imagine, say, uh, Barack Obama, Joe Biden, or Donald Trump writing an email to somebody, uh, you wouldn't consider that law or a some kind of executive order. But we hold Thomas Jefferson's letter to the Danbury Baptists up as though it's some kind of law an official decree as to how we should interpret the constitution. But anyways, this short letter just said that there should be a wall of separation between church and state that is high and impregnable. Yeah. And he was just assuring the Baptists, the Danbury Baptists that no, we're not going to have a, we're not going to have a national church and it's not going to be the congregationalists. You can see this in the back and forth between them two, but, uh, ever since the case Everson in 19 Everson versus Board of Education in 1947, I should say up until 1947 with the Everson case, they never used that phrase separation of church and state or the wall metaphor. It was used in that case uh, hmm. by um uh, one of the justices who asked his neighbor who just so happened to be a Thomas Jefferson scholar and Thomas, this Thomas Jefferson scholar pulled it out, you know, from his book that he was writing and sent it to I him. Almost, and he started, I almost thought you were going to say something else. He pulled it out of this. Pulled it right he out pulled of it out book. of his, uh, his book. Yeah. And yeah. And so, the question is Donald Drakeman has a great book on this called uh church state and original intent. Princeton something like this one. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Hold that up. Yeah. Hold that closer. So yeah. Donald Donald Dra Dra that is a great book. So Drakeman, he refers to, this is the fact that uh, the wall metaphor was not brought up till 1947. And he, and that's he, crazy. He brings well, up wasn't it in the Reynolds decision? They did they reference it in Reynolds? But Reynolds uh, was later. No, I mean, you know what I mean by Reynolds decision. Oh, right? the, you mean the, uh, the Reynolds, polygamy. The yeah, yeah, the polygamy case. Oh, that was an eight. Question. That was in the eighteen hundreds. Uh, Let me. I'm. I'm. Well, a, I'm going to just keep talking. I'm. I'm just going to look it yeah, up while you're talking, talking because you're. Well, think about even if it was. Let's let's pretend it it was brought up once. The yeah. fact I'm trying to get could, to Google, how do you get to Google again? I think I searched Bing and then, yeah. Okay. Well, if we, we point for one example okay. of the separation of church and state metaphor, the wall metaphor being used only once before 1947. Uh, it's interesting. Donald Drakeman refers to this as the dog that did not bark in the night. Yeah. And that the dog did not bark in the night until 1947 tells you historically that they did not view public prayer by officials or uh, 
a lot of the cases that have been brought, you know, in recent times, they didn't see this as a problem. Okay. It was a culture shift. It was only culturally did people see it as a problem. And only then did they start interpreting the constitution, the first amendment this way. Uh, and then, you know, this is why Sotomayor's got a problem is because the current makeup of the court wants to uh, interpret this historically. How did would the court historically have interpreted the First Amendment? Well, they would have granted free exercise of religion. They would have granted prayer. And they would have had a problem with that. They, they didn't have a problem. There was a recent case uh, that just came up. Uh, what was it? I'm trying to think. It was... I wrote it down even. Dublin versus uh, not Dublin. I told you to leave the, the European not... stuff out, man, because you're always trying to bring the European stuff in. Yeah. No, this is the town of Greece. It was uh, it's a... I see. There the... you go again. There you go. It's not Dublin. It's Greece. But look at the country, town of Greece. Man. It's case. a country. It's a country. I think it's, this country is called New York. Uh, but it's the town of Greece. <laughs> And uh, it's, a, it's a prayer case where they didn't want chaplains to open sessions with prayer. And, of course, the court says, well, if we look at this historically, the chaplains have always done so. So we know uh, historically, uh, even if there is an entanglement uh, between the government and, you know, religious exercise, there, there seems not to be a problem historically. The only time you get a problem is when you start, you know, interpreting it through the lens of lemon with the lemon test okay yeah and it just shows that the lemon test is kind of a it's a hair trigger and and it has always been the lemon test has always been used in establishment cases it, it never defends and it never results in free exercise cases the defense of free exercise so do you think that there's like uh just a tension between the the establishment clause and the free exercise clause do you there think is, there's an there, inherent attention there? There is, but there shouldn't be. There's a, there's a tension between how we currently interpret those clauses versus how they were originally written. Because if you look at how they're written, if you just take it uh, as it's written on the face, it says Congress shall make no laws regarding the, the free exercise of religion or the establishment thereof. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a prohibition on congress it's not right. a prohibition on coaches right it's only after incorporation did they extend it to all branches of government yeah and not only all three branches of government but but you know to all different governments not just the federal government because originally right. this was written in reference to the federal government not to the state right. government the right. states, they said they all had their own state churches and there was no problem with that. Not uh, all of them did, but yeah, there was. You, you're, no, you're correct. Not all of yeah. them did, but those that did, yeah. there were, uh, the point is that there were states that did have state churches. Sure. It was a political issue. In other words, it was, it was a, it was a political issue for the legislature and they just vote on it. And, and then eventually it fell, fell out of favor actually pretty quickly. That's correct. Yeah. And I, I think that that I think it rectified itself on its own without the need of the First Amendment to be interpreted in such a way as to get, you know, make it unconstitutional to have such a thing. 
So is it like the Second Amendment? I'm assuming you're following like the Second Amendment jurisprudence, or like of history and tradition. Is it like that, or where you go by history and tradition to figure out what these these yeah, prohibit I, and they? Well, accept? I think if you're going to use history and tradition for the interpretation of one, you should do so for the other, just to be consistent. You can't. You don't want to uh, decide where you want the case to go. And then go, well, now that I've decided where I want the case to, how I want the case to be decided, I'll, I'll determine the principles based on that. No, I believe you determine the principles and then you let the chips fall where they may. And if originalism is the principle, then we need to let the chips fall where they may. And if we don't like where the chips fall, then perhaps we should amend the Constitution. So how would you recommend deciding the, uh, if, let's go back in time here. I'm going to go to the Reynolds decision, 1879. I looked yeah. it up. There's the Danbury Baptist Association. I think this is the first time the court ever said anything about the wall of separation, church and state. Mm-hmm. There, there, uh, there they are. And, and these are Republican judges. I should also mention right after the Civil War. You know, we we, of course, uh, controlled uh, appointment of judges for the most part. Uh, uh, thank God. <laughs> for a while although there were some big mistakes there were some big mistakes by this court these yeah the the republican court after the civil war made some big mistakes but um so this is reynolds this is uh what do you think about this this is about a guy a mormon guy in the utah territory before it came came a state and he was arrested and criminally charged for having more than one wife, which was a crime according to federal law. Mm-hmm. Um, number five is the First Amendment issue here. I, for those of you listening on on Google or audio, just go to the YouTube and look at what I'm looking at, or look it up yourself. Number five in the in the in the decision is: Should the accused have been acquitted if he married the second time because he believed it to be his religious duty? So his defense was that. Um, being polygamous is required by the uh, Mormon church as he understood it. And the penalty I think was hell or something. It was a, it was pretty, uh, that was his claim anyway. And sure. And it was a really harsh sentence that he originally had. I think he had five years of hard labor or something. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. It was, it was, um, you can learn a lot about American history just by reading Supreme Court decisions, by the way. Um, oh, yeah. Lots of interesting things in these. Um, but in uh, any case, this is the this is the Republican response uh, in the court. They go they reach back to J- Jefferson's Danbury Baptist Association letter to pick out mm-hmm. the idea of separation of church and state. And they basically said, if we let this guy go. We basically established bigamy in the United States, polygamy, which is really what Mormonism is. And we're not a Mormon country, so we can't do that. So therefore, you don't get to freely exercise your religion. Is that how would you resolve that case? Or Yeah, I, well, even before going through that, the, the, the country is already dedicated to ridding the world of uh, the twin uh, relics of barbarism. And the twin relics of barbarism uh, were bigamy and slavery. 
And so this fell right within the purview of that. And so they they had actually when they went after Reynolds, they 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 went after him specifically and they did not go after they did not want to go after uh, the apostles of the church. They didn't want to go after the 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 leader of the Mormon church. They didn't want to make it as big a case as they did. And they saw, um, they said somewhere in the case, we should look it up because I'm not going to quote it uh, accurately, but they mentioned in the Reynolds case somewhere about there are some things that are just too egregious uh, that though they may be religious, that we can't accept. Like, for example, uh, we, we're not going to accept human sacrifice and cannibalism. Yes, it right. is. It is. You could have your religious belief about about that, but the practice of it is so bad that th- these things just can't be allowed. And the same is true with uh, bigamy. And that's how they 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 made that distinction. Yeah. They say yeah. Well, they use history and tradition too, going back to England and and uh, that part of that part of the British Isles is called Dolphin. I think well, not Dolphin, Wales. Sorry, I get that. I get those. What does football have to do with this? (laughs) Um, You know, they go back to the history and tradition of of um, Christian Europe, and um, and then they basically say. This is our tradition, not the Asiatic nomadic peoples of Asia and Africa. And I forget who else they say. Um, and so, and, and there's a, here's a nice little quote here. Polygamy has always been odious among the Northern and Western nations of Europe. And until the establishment of the Mormon church was almost exclusively a fe- feature of Asiatic and African people. Yeah. At common law, the second marriage, I guess I should be sharing my screen here, so I don't have to take my word for it. At common law, which is the British heritage, the legal heritage, um, the second marriage was always void. From the earliest history of England, polygamy has been treated as an offense against society. Um, so, you know, I mean, I think they're kind of laying the groundwork there for a history and traditions approach here Mm -hmm. um and so which history which tradition and there's they're carving out well we were we're an anglo society uh in our in our law in our legal tradition and uh we're speaking english here we're we were a colony of england and um that's our history and tradition um and you know but i think in this case there is a hmm there's something that makes me think that there might just be an inherent tension between those two clauses in the in the first amendment well that's uh i mean i don't find that well it depends on um Currently, I'm going to argue that you're right. Okay. I could exercise my religion freely, of course, until it violates your rights. Mm -hmm. And 
I think with the free exercise, you there should be we should err on the side of freedom. Okay, and only you know the government has the burden of proof. It is their uh, burden to go through the due process to show that they could take away my right to say pray, tell people about what I believe, exercise my conscience in public. Uh, because uh, if it's my, it, you know, it's just like crime. Uh, am I innocent until proven guilty, or am, is it is it my job to prove my innocence until? Uh, you know, I'm guilty until otherwise proven innocent. And it seems to me that with the religious clauses uh, that the courts in the past, up until this case, have often erred on the side of you're guilty until proven innocent. That religion is irrational, divisive, and dangerous. Thus, if it's found in the public square, uh, for there to be some kind of tolerance of it, uh, the religious advocate must show why this is the case and why the government should allow it rather than uh, the government having to prove that it, it is allowed to stop it. Does that make sense? Well, yeah. I mean, there, the reason that these, we have these issues. Well, one reason is that we're a majoritarian society in a sense, right? So the, the majority makes these rules, right? And sometimes the majority is, well, oftentimes it's just Christian, right? right. Broad, very broadly speaking and very watered down meaning of that. Sure. Um, like, for example, that Bronfield versus Brown case. Remember, do you remember that one? That that was the, uh, the, the Orthodox Jewish guy that wanted to open his shop on Sundays because that's a business yeah. day for him. He takes a Sabbath on sure. on Saturday. He's closed down and he's losing all the money to his competition on Saturday. Mm -hmm. Well, the I think it was in Pennsylvania. They they made a Sunday closing law where you 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 had to uh, close down for um, uh, non. I hate this creepy language of non-essential. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm putting uh, I'm pulling it up. Brownfield versus Braunfield versus Brown. There we go. I think it's in the 60s. OK, 60s. OK, so let's I'm pulling it up here. You get I guess you can't see this. Keep forgetting to share my screen. OK, so here's this uh, criminal statute, dude. 1959 prescribed okay. Sunday retail sale of certain enumerated co commodities. Uh, listen to the language here. It's it's um, two two merchants in Philadelphia who engage in the retail sale of clothing, home furnishings, um, and they're Orthodox Jews, and the 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 issue of what was essential and inessential uh, i hate that language yeah um yeah hold on oh why am i not being able to search here okay so they the issue was can they basically enforce 
a Christian, a majoritarian Christian Sabbath mm -hmm. on the state right. with criminal penalties. Yes. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And, you know, this guy, from his, from his perspective, yeah, from his perspective, he's just, all he's doing is um, he's he's taking advantage of the first business day of the week, which is Sunday. Mm -hmm. And he's if he's forced to close down, he loses an entire day of business. Right. And this is not like Chick-fil-A closing on Sunday. That's voluntary. Right. You know, well, and, so he, and he's closed on Saturday. Right. So and he's losing two days of business. I think Yoder was a case. If I'm correct. My, I, I could be wrong on this. I'm trying to think of the case. Um, Maybe Yoder was a pacifist. I'm trying to think, y Yoder was the y Yoder was the Amish. They they want to take their kid out of school, and they they got fined for it because trying to think of the not just they're yeah, not just got an exception. Yes, the Sunday closing laws are one thing, but then there were other laws, um, or not just laws, but there were other businesses that affected people who say were Sabbatarians, such as the Seven Day Adventists, right. where they they didn't want to work on Saturday because of their religious beliefs and they that was they, uh that was sherbert they, versus verner i think that was Ber the uh you're right yeah and yeah, were, that was the lady that applied for unemployment and she got fired because she wouldn't work on saturday and they denied her unemployment because she yes, got fired that's yeah. right yeah but it, south well, carolina had she gotten fired she would have she would have gotten uh, unemployment, but it was because she refused to work. And, and they said it was because it was available, but she refused. Therefore, she didn't get it. And she said, yeah. well, of course, because right, of my right, right. So my point was, is that we're a, we're a we are a majoritarian society when we like it and we're not when we don't like it. <laughs> and the trouble sure. is try, trying to explain that in a way that's coherent and makes any kind of sense with our constitution, the text and language and history and traditions of the constitution, and just also just logic. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, you know, we, we do so much by just majoritarian rule. Like we, you know, the speed limit, uh, whether what to put kind of, what kind of, uh, regulations to put on businesses and stuff like that. I mean, um, you know, people feel good about, making people not work on Sunday or making people have to pay employers pay penalties for making people work on a holiday mm -hmm. or whatever like that. But then what counts as a holiday that's all voted in by majoritarian. There's nothing in constitution that says that something has to be a holiday or, you know, uh, those, those are a lot of that stuff is just filled in by just legislatures. They just, they're just making it up as they go along just by voting. And then every once in a while you have um, a, a minority that gets uh, hurt by the majority. Yes. And um, they they reach into the text of the Constitution and they, they grab onto something and they say, hold on, uh -huh. I can use this now to to beat back the majority and, and tell them to lay off and knock it off. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's what, that's what that guy, the, the Mormon was trying to do <laughs> because the major, most of Americans didn't want polygamy. So this, so, I, 
I wanted to write this uh, article a long time ago, and it still needs to be written if it hasn't already been done. But given the Obergefell case, where marriage is now defined, was no longer it's no longer one man and one woman. Let me tell you what: if uh, Obergefell were decided back along with Reynolds, there'd be no same-sex marriage today. But now that this case, now that Obergefell has determined that marriage is not explicitly one man, woman, one woman. What does it do to the Reynolds case? Could somebody come out and as a test case, they go out and they intentionally marry another woman with the intention of, or actually here, let's do it exactly the way Obergefell did. They go in to get a, a new marriage certificate, a new marriage license with their second or third, you know, their second wife, let's say, and they bring in their first with them just to make it known that, you know, they're already married. And my they first say, wife is a witness. Yeah, that's right. My first wife's going to be the witness. And so now they go, well, we can't issue this. And they get this Kim Davis, you know, secularist Kim Davis, uh, who says, I'm not going to issue that. And you go, well, I'm going to make you issue it, or maybe you'd be held in contempt of court. And so you take it to court as a test case to, with the intent to bring it all the way up to the Supreme Court after you lose a couple of cases and you appeal it all the way up there. And then, so then you hopefully, not I, but one hopefully uh, gets to the Supreme Court and let's pretend they get their the court of choice. They don't get the current Republican court, but let's say they get a really progressive liberal Democrat court. And now that uh, they can say, yeah, uh, this idea of holding to one man, one woman uh, marriage is a relic of, of the Christian, you know, understanding of religion, uh, of marriage. Uh, we don't need to hold to that. And we could open up to all forms of marriage. So let the let the marriage licenses fly. And we could use just as easily revisit Reynolds on that ground. So you don't even need to do it. You don't even well, need to do you it have to have. It More. seems like you have to have a definition of marriage, which is what I had a problem with was with Obergefell and these other cases like Perry versus Schwarzenegger is sure. like, you know, I, I just think that you need to have a definition of marriage. And that's what Prop 8 was trying to do in California. And uh -huh. I think that Prop 8 was just codifying what the definition already was. They weren't making up a new one. Uh -huh. People act. They, they acted like this is the most horrific thing in the world, but. But that was if, a, you, if you replace that definition part. from what are you going to replace it with? Right. And and does that replacement make the same mistake that you just said the the thing you're replacing it, uh, the thing you're replacing made? Yeah. Uh, if the, the, the claim was that the the original definition of marriage discriminated. <laughs> well, but that's what the replacement's going to do, too. Sure. Because otherwise it doesn't discriminate between what it is and what it's not. And you can't That's tell right. what's who's married and who's not married and what what That's arrangement right. is marriage and what is not. And you're going to have to pull from the tradition to understand what the word means, because the only reason we even use the word is from the tradition. That's 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 why we use words. It's because they're in language and language is old. And yeah, there's a great, great book by Witty called From Sacrament to Contract. And uh, he just breaks it down how... What's, it, the, what's the name again, the guy? Uh, Witty. Well, how, what's his last name? That is his last name. Oh. Uh, 
I was going to say that's a uh, really weird first name, but okay. And you're on a first name basis with this guy. What's going on with that? No, John, it's John Whitty Jr. And it's from sacrament to contract. So the idea of uh, marriage would be in sacrament, a, co- a covenant or a contract. So talks, you got the different traditions, you know, with Catholics, it'd be a sacrament with the Protestant Calvinists. It would have been a covenant, a covenantal idea. And then with, um, you know, then they brings it to a secular account historically to be uh, just a social contract, just a contract between individuals, an agreement. Right. Yeah. To have old, you know. But c- contracts are regulated. Yeah. And they, I mean, they contracts say- are heavily regulated. I mean, you can't just say whatever you want in a contract and then it's legal all of a sudden. That's yeah. not how it works. That's right. Um. So and 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 contracts are are usually regulated and, and then litigated. And then the case law is really what's li- what's regulating the, the contract. So that's all history and tradition. Yeah. So it's like, Absolutely. well, who's making the history and tradition as you go along? I mean, um, do you want courts just making it and, or, you know, un, un, unelected people or do you want elected people making it? And because if courts make it, you can't fix it if it's a problem until, uh, for a long time. Whereas if it's just a majority that's making it, then you could just fix that, you know, next election. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of deep issues here with talking about this stuff. I, I think the majority versus minority thing, text versus um, uh, non-textual interpretations, whether to what extent history and tradition is 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 um relevant oh yeah uh there's a whole lot to be said about the development of the uh you know first amendment jurisprudence the idea and philosophy of law versus originalism versus you know the use of penumbras Uh and you know the the historical approach says if it doesn't say anything about it Uh uh there's not much to say about it and if you know they interpreted it this way originally, that's the way it should be interpreted. Now but let's go. There's this. Let's go back to the Kennedy case okay, because sure. you know someone might think, "What is the big deal here? Why why does he have to pray on the football field? Why does he have to do that?" If he doesn't, if, so if it's not a big deal, then why can't he just go pray in his church? Why do we have to make a federal case out of it? Like literally. Yeah, literally. Uh, so the the thing is that he doesn't have to pray there. It's that he can pray there. There's there's a has to versus permissibility. I mean, it's the free exercise of religion that so he freely a, wants. What if a Wiccan parent wanted to do that? Sure. And, and if, then uh, I, would, I mean, that would actually be more fitting for like the state of Washington. Sure. And if they're free, if Wiccan, there. look, there, there are going to be some Mormons and there are going to be some Muslims and, and let's pretend, but in fact, there, there's, what if they wanted to do like a Santeria, like, like sacrifice of the animal on the, on the football field after well then that well then the, in that case they they would be destroying the field they don't have a right to destroy the field they have you, you know there is a again you know you say where does the line of free exercise 
cross we'll, something. We'll put a mask on the chicken. I'm, and the chicken is vaccinated. And put and some. We'll put rain. some. Uh, we'll put some plastic down to catch the blood. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess it's getting it's getting a little bit kind of now. Now I can understand the excessive entanglement. It's getting a little excessive. So we bring back lemon for that one. Or I don't know if it's excessive entanglement with the government, but I would say this uh, within reason. I and I there are religions that are just abominable and should not be taught <laughs> yeah and, according to the majority though there's, there's a majority well if we determine by the majority later um you know uh, the, i i suspect you know back i don't even have to suspect within the first 300 years of christianity the majority were not christians they pra- practice pagan paganism and and it doesn't make it right it just makes it what it is um, we're, we you know this is kind of goes to that argument is America a Christian nation? Well, the majority of Christian people who were in America at its founding were Christian. And, and it reflected that in the way they made laws, the types of laws they made and the, and the ways they interpreted those laws. And that, that would have gone for the constitution. We have a constitution that does allow majority rule. And unfortunately that majority rule can take us away from christian principles it's kind of right. like being up our own petard or having our own sword used among uh, against us but that that was that was the government we created was right. for and by the people which means that this this country can practice some abominable acts uh and, and justify them right back in early days they would not have allowed that uh if we're taking a historical approach i don't think that they would have allowed that uh, they're not going to allow, but it, what's interesting is that the, there was a church of Satan that said they wanted access to the field so that they could pray on this field. Right. And, uh, my suggestion is you're allowed to go out in there and pray if you want. Uh, because it's protected, uh, your free exercise is protected. But, of course, that's within reason. You're not going to be spray painting pentagrams and pulling out, you know, sacrifice and virgins or non-virgins, you know, all over <laughs> the field. You're not going to go out there and start, you know, vandalizing the place in the name of your religion. You know, right? Uh, everything seems to be within reason. So, uh, you know, smoking cigars and blowing the smoke in your dead chicken's body with, you know, at the, without the head is, you know, and. Praying to the fetish gods while you sit there and shake chicken blood everywhere is a little, you know, excessive. I, I think it's uh, well. There's your your term excessive. So are you bringing back the not the lemon test? It's 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 excessive in its practice, not excessive uh, entanglement. Okay, excessive entanglement has to do with the relationship. I mean, of the person and the government. You know, where's the government? You know. Of course, how do they overlap? In this case, if the coach is going out there and praying to Muhammad silently, he has perfectly right to do it. Perfect right to do it. If he's uh, bringing a virgin with him to sacrifice her, not that uh, Muslims do this. Well, if he's going out there and committing jihad in the middle of the field, you know, pulling out a sword and striking down all the Christians out there, I think that that's not you know, that's murder. That's not uh, excessive entanglement. 
Um, I'm supposed to have that doctor's appointment in 10 minutes just to let you know. Oh, okay. You need to get off. All right. Uh, But this this is a two-parter. If you ever want to come back, we have much more. I I think too much has been left on the table. It's such a, a great topic. Yeah. All right. Well, we're not going anywhere, so... <laughs> let me know there's there's some other cases out there too it's especially with the transgenderism this is okay we'll, we'll hit that one because that's a, it, it with the separation of church and state it's weird that you you got transgenderism being pushed in schools and them saying no 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 it's okay that they do this there's no law against this yet it's kind of odd that you know prayer heaven forbid one might become you know you know, one might become a Christian if you pray in front of them, but there, you know, yeah, and that, that's not going to happen. Gonna... That never happens, right? I mean, no one, no one hears a prayer and then just becomes a Christian. Is that how it works? Um, anyway, yeah, I, I just, anyway, okay, so we'll, we'll leave it there. Thanks so much, uh, Dr. Hannon, Shannon Holzer. By the way, what classes are you teaching this semester? Uh, right now, I'm teaching uh, two classes in um, American and Texas government. One of them is actually a dual credit class, and we're doing a great text approach in which we're reading Shakespeare, going to be reading Machiavelli, the Prince, and we'll read uh, some Locke, and then we're it's it's some good some good uh, some good text there that we're reading in conjunction with the textbook and all that and the Constitution and the Federalist oh. Papers. But the other one's just a regular one. And then the other class is just a philosophy class. I, I don't want everyone to say just philosophy class. It's an intro philosophy class. Next semester, though, I'm teaching a law and religion course. And I'm teaching a bioethics course. Cool. So uh, I'm excited for next semester. I'll probably be doing that along with my government courses and my philosophy courses. Awesome. Well, uh, I we've enjoyed this uh, meandering little um discussion of the kennedy case and the complications uh from the history and tradition and the supreme court precedent and we got into a little bit of some of the issues and we can just come back and keep talking about it later yeah. all right thanks man you bet you have a great day